while we're waiting, uh, a little news. I don't know if you... Yes. A few people probably peaked that uh, the, at least the headline in the, in the Huffington Post. Uh, we don't want to get too political here, but I had a feeling this might brighten your day instead of bring you down. You know. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the retreat is now over. We're <laughs> So, um, there might be a few other people coming, but why don't we start? We thought we'd start, um, we're going to uh, do a sit in a few minutes and then a debrief in terms of what might have happened over lunch. But we thought just to sort of get our digestion moving and everything, let's do a little stretching, if that's okay with everybody. So if you can just sort of find a place just to stand and without uh, uh, hitting somebody next to you, just get a little space um, and just sort of feel yourself standing and feel your feet uh, being supported by the ground. Just sort of settle in, just get yourself sort of settled. And then, if you're willing and ready, just lift your left arm just very slowly above your head and just sort of look up at your hand. Don't push too far. Don't do anything that might uh, uh, cause some pain. Just reach up and then just let your arm slowly come down to your side. And then we'll do the same thing with our right arm. Just slowly bring it up. And just look at your hand, and you might want to stand more gently on your right foot than your left, so you can really stri- you know, reach up a little bit, but not too far. And then bring your arm down again. And then let's do the same thing again with the left hand, but maybe this time try to stretch it a little further and see if you can reach out and touch the roof a little bit, but again, only very gently, don't push too far whatever you're comfortable with. And then bring it down. And then bring your right hand on up again and just push and stretch a little bit further. See if you can unscrew the light bulb up there without pushing too far. And then bring your hand on down very gently. A little good, a little little movement. Let's just try both arms now. Just gently up. Reach up to the sun that might be shining tomorrow. And just drift a little bit in the wind without pushing too far. Just let yourself sit up there and then bring your arms on down. Let's do that again. Just reach up. Maybe this time try to stretch a little bit further. Again, without pushing too far. And just let yourself move a little bit. Maybe move your hips back and forth. Just gently, not too far. Just let yourself loosen a bit. 
And then you can bring your arms down. Take another couple of breaths and just sort of feel yourself standing. Think about what's happening when you take that breath. That all these processes occurring all over the earth are allowing you to live right now by taking that breath. And now let's just gently turn our arms to the right-hand side, very gently. Don't push too far, just as far as it's comfortable without feeling any real tension or pain. And then let's come back to the center. You can just hold it in center for just a second. And then move your arms all the way to the left side, very gently. And then come back to the center. And this time, let's go again to the right side. Maybe go a little bit further without pushing too far. Hold it for a second. And then come back to the center. And move to the left. And just try to stretch just a little bit more. And then come back. Arms and just feel how that feels. Maybe move your shoulders a little bit up and down, right? Doesn't matter which way you want to go, forward or backwards, just very gently though, either way. And if you'd like to, you could sort of tilt your head to the right very gently. Just hold it for a second. Bring it back up to the center. And then tilt your head to the left very gently. Bring it back up to the center. Tilt your head to the right. Just leave it down there a little longer this time. Move it back to the center. And then tilt your head to the left again. Tilt your head up to the center. Now, for those of you who are willing and interested, you might want to just sort of collapse over yourself and let yourself just sort of bend over without going too far. You might want, you can bend your knees. Don't go beyond what's comfortable. Just let yourself hang here for a second. And now come back up to a standing position and reach your arms above your head and, and stretch up there to the sky. Let yourself breathe deeply. And now let's again collapse over ourselves all the way down as far as you're comfortable. And just let your, yourself hang there. And then let's come back up, stretch one more time to the sky. Breathe deeply, just watch yourself breathing. And come back to a standing position. That feel pretty good? Great. Okay, thank you all.
Okay, oh, uh, and before we begin, um, rides needed to Berkeley for, is it Rubel and uh, Anusha? Uh, uh, what is it? Arusha? Arushki. A-R-U-S-H-K-I? H-I. Arushi. Okay. So uh, anyone uh, could give a ride to Berkeley? There you go. And did you need a ride, David? You're set. Yeah, thank you. We're okay with rides? Good. Um, okay, let's see. So we'll, we'll start with a, a sit um, this afternoon, and then we'll check in, see about anything from this morning that uh, is still up, uh, and then we'll proceed. So, once again, oh, and uh, did um, did Vanessa get squared away with the CEs? She's doing it right now. Okay. Okay. So, just uh, come into your body. Just let your attention connect with the fact that you're alive, as Bob was pointing out this morning there's the air that's um, keeping you alive that comes from this earth all the plants and the plankton feel a connection to all of life and feel a connection to the earth underneath you And you might take a few deeper breaths and breathe in uh, an energizing calm into your body. As you breathe out, let go. Relax. And let the breath find its own natural rhythm. As we did this morning, just letting your awareness open to whatever your experience is. You can know that you're sitting here and breathing. If other things call your attention, whether it's sounds or sensations, notice them. Emotions, moods, acknowledge them. Thoughts coming and going, simply be aware of thinking. All of the the instructions come down to simply knowing what's happening now, letting your experience be as it is, and opening to it with a very kind, interested, relaxed awareness, one moment at a time.
Oh. Thank you. So did <clears throat> anything, uh, anybody would like to share? Anything came up this morning that now is front and present for you or over lunch um, in terms of uh, your willingness and ability to sort of see the five commitments? Is the, the microphone coming, coming right here. This morning, um, people were speaking both of despair and hope, despair and hope. And um, I know those are the two poles people normally speak of, but I've sort of moved away from hope as the alternative um, in recent years, um, partly in the after my daughter, when she was 12 years old, said, Dad, I don't think, I think hope is kind of a too frail a read. And um, I've moved towards confidence. And I think confidence is really somewhat different, both where it comes from in your emotional field, in your body, and in your sense of um, the long arc. You know that Martin Luther King phrase about uh, the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. I've never known whether that's really true in the long view of history, but I do feel that confidence gives you some different energy in your body and in your mind. And that if you start from a place where you believe that no matter what is in between, you will be in that place in the end. It's more than in its intention, but it's also um, a sense of completion before you even begin. I was once uh, trying to split wood in my first winter in, in the woods, and I couldn't, I didn't have the strength to get the axe down through the first quarter inch. And the farmer on whose land I was living watched me in amusement, this city intellectual, and uh, he said, put the axe down. And I put it down and he said, okay, now look at that, that round of wood and don't imagine your blade at the top but at the bottom having already traveled clear through and don't pick up the axe until you can do that. He waited a long time because I couldn't visualize it. But when I did eventually... He said, are you ready? I said, okay. And then I picked it up, and it came down on that round, and it just went kaboom. Mm -hmm. And I never had that kind of difficulty again. <clears throat> and I think it's because if you go to the far place in your imagination, and you imagine yourself already having gotten there, then you don't focus on the thicket of difficulties in between because you're already in that place where it's been realized. Thank you. I'll, I'd like to make a comment. Um, it's, it's true, the word hope is a very tricky word. Um, I often quote, I, in, in Dharma Seed, I have a number of talks about faith, um, one of the five spiritual faculties, and... I often quote this this line from Seneca, the Roman philosopher, who says, um, "If you cease to be a, f uh, um, if you cease to be a, uh, if you cease to be afraid, uh, then you cease to hope, because hope is often accompanied by fear." 
That's one end of things, you know. Gosh, I hope things work out. And what you're talking about, confidence, which is one of the definitions of the of the word sadha, which is the spiritual faculty that's often translated as faith, also translated as confidence, conviction, trust is what we're talking about. And that is um, not so much that everything is going to work out just the way you want, but just that there is a natural unfolding and that if you're aligned with the truth, you're doing your part and can, um, and your awareness will meet the moment when that moment comes, rather than spending your time worried if you'll be able to meet the moment. There's more of a trust in the, the alignment with truth that can come. So that's a very powerful way to, um, the word sada means uh, to put one's heart upon, to put your heart into something, to be wholehearted about it and to have that sense of alignment with truth. Um, now, and the, the other side is though that there is, that hope can speak to a number of, it, speak to some people you know, it's the last, what was it, the last thing in uh, Pandora's box uh, was, was hope, or wasn't it? And, um, and interestingly enough, there's this wonderful book that I, I highly recommend called uh, Active Hope by Joanna Macy. It's one of the, I brought a few books that inspire me. And this, uh, the, the subtitle, How, we face, How to Face the Mess We're Going In, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy, Joanna Macy and... Chris Johnstone, and she uh, I, she's brilliant, wonderful. Um, she said she hated the word hope for just this reason for many years. Don't tell me about hope, um, uh, because um, it was too too much. Despair was 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 right there. But then she came to a, a new understanding of the word and what she calls active hope, which is, if I can find it here, um, here it is, active hope is a practice. Um, It is something we do rather than have. It is a process we can apply to any situation and it involves three key steps. First, we take a clear view of reality. Second, we identify what we hope for in terms of the direction we'd like things to move in or the values we'd like to see expressed. And third, we take steps to move ourselves or our situation in that direction. So we are choosing what we aim to bring about and act for and we are we're focused on our intention and let it be the guide. Um, so you you want to have a vision and then without seeing 
did we get there or not? And maybe that might be uh, different than looking at the bottom of your uh, of the wood. But as long as you're moving in that right direction and you feel the wholesomeness of your contribution, then that is very um, inspiring and you are, um, it's a quality of facing in the right direction without the, without the attachment. So at times one will be supportive and another t- at other times others. It's not like there's one right answer, but there's different ways and whatever way really supports you to be engaged and inspires you to be engaged and come from love rather than fear and and anger, uh, that's the way for you. And it might change as well. And coming from that open-hearted place, as I've said before, is much more magnetizing, is much more inspiring to others than this, uh, than, than the fearful place. Let me offer one other quick comment. We're going to end the workshop on Sunday with you actually developing an, an, a plan for yourself to what we call harvest hope. But we don't mean wishful thinking. Uh, that's not, that's the, what I think we, we often get. And we'll do it through what we call ends planning, which is, I think, what you were describing. Just start at the end. Where do you want to be? And then work back to where you are today and figure out the strategies. And when you do ends planning, I do this with organizations all the time, uh, you, you, you uh, identify the nearest approximation to the end you can get at, you can get to and say, three months or six months, you decide. Uh, so you have this ideal vision, what, this is what you want, move backwards, what's the closest approximation to the ideal you can get at in a certain amount of time. That's what you start to work for. When you get to the closest approximation to the ideal, the vision, the ideal, always looks different. So you never get there. You're always learning, you're always growing, new information comes in, and it's a process of keep moving towards it. But it's not wishful thinking. So, this is actually like in Dharma practice. You know, some people are very inspired by the the possibility of enlightenment, and are facing in that direction, and uh, and, and and moving with a wholeheartedness. Some people can be very discouraged by the idea of enlightenment, thinking, oh, Fifty lifetimes from now, maybe, and what's the point? Or oh, I'm what a schlep where I am now, and I'll never get there. So it's it's what really inspires you that brings out the best in you, and having a vision is very very helpful, and but letting it be inspiring you to just know that you're facing in the right direction. Other comments, that reaction of this one over here. Uh, so I was thinking of two different books. One um, from the talks this morning, one is by Rebecca Solnit, and it's called mm. Hope in the Dark, mm. which I found really helpful. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> so it was Hope in the Dark, and it's, it's that the future is always unknown, mm-hmm. and that there's always good possibilities that we can't foresee as well as the, the darker ones and, and the being able to stay curious to what those are and, and knowing that those always come from the edges mm-hmm. and so they're really difficult to see at the beginning has been a really helpful way of, of framing it. And Excellent. then um, Robin Wall Kimmerer's book, Braiding Sweetgrass, 
um, echoes a lot of the things that you're saying about connection to the natural world and from a native perspective here um, in this country. And she's a really beautiful writer and a storyteller as well. So, hmm. what's the that. second one called? Wait. Um, Braiding Sweetgrass. Braiding s- by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Great, thank you. To follow up on that just a little bit, how many of you uh, had took the time or, or had the, the the energy to? sort of contemplate the, the, the amount of times that how often are you aware or think about the systems you're part of? How often are you aware and think about the consequences of, the, of your actions on those systems, about your moral principles you're going to? Any thoughts, comments on that reaction to that? Go ahead, over here. Uh, Dan. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Sherry. We don't yeah. let Lan write anything down yeah, because yeah. she's got her on her move the whole time. Um, at, at the risk of taking an unpopular stance, I'm appreciating what we're talking about, and I'm also realizing for myself and for many of the people that I work with, the first most um, challenging aspect of trauma is that it totally takes away our ability to regulate and relate. So we're doing a lot of talking about the reasoning part, and I always kind of feel like by the time we get to the reasoning part, we're halfway out of the woods already. The more difficult part is how do we do that regulation, and also how do we maintain our capacity to relate and keep seeking connection when everything inside of us is screaming stop and contract. And so I was thinking about that a lot in my own process because I have a tendency to want to isolate. And I've heard other people talk about that. And it was so interesting to me to think about the responsibility, the individual responsibility we have to sustain that interconnection you were talking about. And I had never thought about it before in that context but there was something in the way that you talked about it that really spoke to me, that even in the midst of that contraction, we also have a system's responsibility to find the way back to connection because otherwise we're a broken link in that interconnection. Um, I don't know how to do it, but that was a really interesting perspective. Thank you. We're going to dive into that the rest of the afternoon even deeper. Uh, and then for the rest of the, but we're going to talk about what trauma is about, how it affects us, and how we can begin to get a handle on it. So thank you very much. Any other comments on back there? The um, reflecting on the the idea of all of the impacts that we might have. Um, in our lives, the work that I've been doing with households has really caused me to have to really dig deeply into my own life and think deeply about how to make change. And um, but we live in in a s- social setting that makes that very you know there are so many things embedded in our lives that we may not have control over and. Or we have the illusion that we don't have control over it. And um, so what I've realized is that we have this, we can withdraw from that reality and sort of pretend it's not there. Or we can choose to act 
and we have to find our, a pathway through that acting that actually works. Um, but that can be really empowering um, when you work through that process, when you just give yourself permission to work through that, that, um, those challenges and not to withdraw. Um, and if you share that with other people, they have ideas, you have ideas. It's empowering for a whole community of people when you start to share that information with each other. Thank you very much. Yeah. That, you want? I, I just want to, uh, that's, that's um, beautifully said, and there's another aspect to it that I see. Um, sometimes we need to withdraw. Sometimes when we're overwhelmed and if we think I should be out there doing more, uh, that's when we can get either f- more traumatized. And so there's a balance in what we're actually, and we'll be exploring it uh, as we go through it in the, in the, in the Buddhist teachings on the, the divine abodes, the Brahma Viharas, there's compassion. And as we're talking about this uh, these days, there's equanimity. And compassion is held with equanimity. And equanimity is also held with compassion. Compassion is the caring heart. And equanimity is the spaciousness that's not overwhelmed and what I see in in taking in information or feeling like I want to act or need to act or whatever is is monitoring when I'm getting overwhelmed that's the time to get more spaciousness and hold all of those feelings with equanimity but if I'm so spacious that I'm not feeling connected, I need to get a little bit closer so that I, I am still feeling connected and wanna, want to uh, participate. And I see it as a, a continual monitoring between those two. Not that one is right and one is not. They're, they're both needed to support each other. Like in uh, the T.S. Eliot four quartets where he says, teach me to care and not to care. It's like both of those at the same time. Yeah, I don't want to not care, but I don't want to care so much that I'm overwhelmed. And, and, and that's, I think, what we're talking about. Obviously, everybody here cares enough to come for these days because you want to do something. And you want to come from a place of centeredness and balance where you're not overwhelmed by your caring. And, and, and that's, I think, a, an ongoing practice to just see what's needed for me to show up and be centered in both of them. One other comment about that, if I might, your comments that um, it, we are embedded in economic and social systems that make it very difficult to see your impacts, let alone to begin to do no harm within that. Um, so the, the really important, remember, this is about right intention and right thought. Uh, and the more you just stay with that, the more you say, well, now I learned more, next time I'll try and do a little better, etc. 
Um, uh, it, it's not about always being perfect. We can't do that in this system, but we can continue to develop our awareness, develop our mindfulness about it. Um, uh, this is still ringing. Sorry about that. But uh, so just keep that in mind uh, that because you're not doing some things you'd like to do, it's very difficult to do that. But what is your intention? If you just keep that out in front, keep focused on that, it'll help a lot. I saw one other hand back behind you. Hi. I struggled for a really long time to understand these concepts of interconnectedness and everything's empty and, and all this. And I finally started seeing it in a different way in the sense that I see that things give way to another. Um, for example, in generalities, the um, Trump being elected gate, people moved from complacency to mm-hmm. anger and fear. And I see the one kind of flowing out of the other. And that part of it is to, to okay, you know, we, we're seeing a lot of fear and anger. Where is that going to flow to next? And that's part of what I hear you saying is that this is, this is the intentionality. We're here. I feel anger. I feel frustration. What am I going to do with it? What is that going to give way to? Because it can go to despair or it can go to empowerment. Mm-hmm. Right. It's all an interconnected system. That's where it's so important to stay connected to your inspiring vision so that you move in, in that direction and the fear and outrage leads to connection and love and, and wanting to make a difference. It can go either way, and, but it's all a system that keeps on um, unfolding. Right, and I feel like meditation and that mind training part of it gives me the ability to hold the paradox of the ideal and the I'm really pissed off and angry. They're both part of the whole right. They're both there. Play. Exactly. But it feels like meditation's been like really the only tool I can think of in my life that's mm-hmm. allowed me to hold both of these paradoxes, mm-hmm. that paradox together, yeah. intertwined. Thank you. Is there one other? Let's take one or two more comments. One there and one there. One here. And then oh, uh, oh, she sorry. does too. Go ahead in the back. No, no, no. Oh, right here. Yeah. Is it Mark? Yeah. Um, the system that was dominating my thinking, and it came up earlier this morning, uh, it's just, I'm sorry to go in a dark direction here, but it's the system that's kind of aligned against us. It's this very well orchestrated, very well funded, very well connected system or or a, uh, well system uh, you know that that has you know is driving all of these policies all of these these actions that are undermining things that we feel are important and you know um, comments came up this morning about the election and about you know the other half or the you know you know the divided country and 
you know, it's really not another half. It's a, it's a very, very tiny, uh, you know, uh, minority. They're very well connected, very well funded, extremely well organized. I've been working at this for decades. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if we read 1984, Orwell, even if you didn't, you know the story. We read it as a warning. Yeah. It seems like they read it as a playbook. As, a, as an operating manual, and that's the system that throws me off of the system of, of self-support and of, and of uh, you know, mindfulness and, and, and compassion, and that's the overwhelming part. Um, you know, and I was going to bring this up earlier about just asking for help in addressing that, you know, really seem like overwhelming, mm-hmm. uh, you know, team against us. It's the, yeah. you know, we're a little, we're a little, you know, pop junior, junior football team against... I don't know who won the Super Bowl last time. <laughs> well, okay, so here's one, one piece about equanimity. I don't know when we get to it. Equanimity is keeping on seeing the biggest picture, which means slices of time give us a limited picture, just like... Sally was saying one thing becomes another and becomes another and if you look at any one slice of time you might be saying oh my goodness there's no hope but if you look at that mark uh, that arc of 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 justice there is in the evolution of humankind more and more consciousness over these years, if you're familiar with that, I think it's Stephen Pinker who wrote that book about, you know, you might think that these are crazy violent times. We are less violent as a human species than ever before. And so it keeps on uh, demanding of us that we look at a much bigger unfolding. And from any one point, oh, we're in the fourth quarter here, you don't know if we're in the fourth quarter. We might be in the, the, the first half. Who knows? So it's, it's, it's just keeping on letting go of our limited way of thinking and seeing, oh, this is unfolding in ways we, could, we might never predict. Just like, you know, if I can get a little bit of, uh, um, you know, Barack Obama came out of George Bush. And Donald Trump came out of Barack Obama. And who knows what's coming next. And if you look at gay marriage or women's rights or all kinds of movements, you'd think there wouldn't be, or climate change even 15 years ago, there's things that we can't see. So you got to let go of thinking, oh, I know where we are and how this is going to turn out or all of these forces, look at those small forces, look what they've unleashed as far as uh, the millions of groups of, the, uh, of environmental groups and, and, and social change groups that have come out in the last, uh, what was it, uh, uh, Paul Hawkins' book, uh, Blessed Unrest. He started looking at all the, all the groups and he said, oh my goodness, there's between one and two million groups of organizations that people care so 
you know, let go, letting go of, of thinking, oh, I know where, where, how this is or, or, or what we're up against. At least that's how, how I see it. We had one other comment somewhere. Um, kind of different topic, but it was when you were doing that exercise about what if we suddenly woke up and we didn't know anything that was going on anywhere, we didn't have any memory, and I, 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 and what would we do? And I thought, well, I would immediately be kind of plugging in with everybody around me to see how everybody was doing, including me. And then it would be like white blood cells sort of like going to, you know, help whoever in our immediate. And then I started thinking, I know that I have those um, kind of principles for the larger, but it didn't connect as much as like replicating this immediate. Like if I didn't know anything else, I would be caring together right here. And isn't that like making that bigger and bigger in the world what we kind of want to do so I knew that of course cognitively but there was a little shift that that happened when I I thought about it that way if that makes any sense thank you (laughs) yeah thank you very much Mm -hmm. we'll take one last okay Um, quick history lesson the Soviet Union looked really strong and invincible like it was going to last forever all the way up until the very day it collapsed. Yeah. Oh, and and something I've I've been share I shared with Bob last night that I've been holding. This might sound really weird. I've been thinking of Donald Trump as a bodhisattva in drag. <laughs> that he has no idea, but perhaps at some point he consciously chose. Okay, I will be the. <laughs> in the 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 ultimate villain that wakes us up wakes us up it would never have happened if the election went in a different way and so you don't you don't know this is this could be one of the most powerful positive things happening for the human species you just don't know but it will require a great deal of. Uh, is that on? Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, uh, we have to really build our resilience, uh, so that we are, first of all, caring for ourselves. I don't know why that's not working. Caring for ourselves. Is, it is that on now? Um, first of all, self-care. Um, uh, resilience, and then self-care in a way that actually allows you to become engaged with what's going on in very different ways. That doesn't mean you're working directly on climate change. Um, it means you're in some way uh, trying to be that bodhisattva, thinking more about the larger collective well-being than your own. And lo and behold, when you do that, you find out that you're helping yourself. There's no better way to increase your own well-being than to work for the better, the common, the larger good. And it might be with animals, it might be food, it might be children. I mean, who knows? It's really what, what you're drawn to and what motivates you, but it's really critical to do that.
don't know why it doesn't work. So, can you hear me now? Is that any better? Um, so we're going to uh, sort of start to go deeper now and start to talk about or sort of engage in what is trauma, uh, how does that affect us, and then what's actually underneath that from a biopsychological perspective. And uh, what we'll do through the rest of the uh, retreat is actually we'll, we'll share some uh, information. We'll do an, an exercise to help you sort of experience it. I'll talk a little bit more about it. Then we're going to have, I'm going to ask you if you're willing and in, interested to teach what you just learned to someone else in the room. Um, the best way to learn something is to teach it. So we'll do that in threesomes. There'll be a, a volunteer teacher, a volunteer student, quote unquote, and an observer. Uh, and we'll just, you just teach it in three to five minutes. And then the observer gives comments. Here's what I saw among the teacher and among the, the student. Then the, uh, the teacher comments on what it was like. And then the student responds last. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how to teach it. Uh, that's up to you. But notice how you're choosing to teach it. What does that say about what's going on and how you approach the world? Uh, but first I want to do an exercise to sort of just get you grounded in this. Uh, and it really has to do with trauma or what we call in Buddhism suffering. Um, that um, what is that about? When I say uh, what trauma is, and we sort of heard it a little bit, anybody have an, a, a definition? What, what causes trauma? What is trauma? Surprise, okay. Overwhelm. Overwhelm. Usually has something to do with fear of death. I'll come back to that, thank you. Say, say it. Fear of death, yeah. Inability to affect one's own circumstances. Powerlessness. A decision you make about your circumstances. Chemical reaction. Chemical reaction, okay, great. Okay, great, thank you. Anybody else? The trauma is originating from outside of myself. Okay. Did I see some other? All those have, are true. Um, so we've, we've done that well. But what really is going on with trauma is that we all as humans hold core assumptions and beliefs about the world. Uh, and a trauma is... Uh, defined even in psychology as something that shatters our core assumptions and beliefs about the world. Um, so it's actually something we do, but the event that causes those uh, beliefs and assumptions about the world to be shattered is clearly often coming from the outside world. It can be a, an acute event, the death of a family member, a major accident, uh, etc., or it could be uh, chronic toxic stress, as we call them, persistent, overwhelming, stressful situation where you just can't deal with it. And the kind of uh, a core assumption belief I'm talking about is uh, we, we just, when we're born, we just appear, right? None of us chose to be here. We just showed up. We have no idea what we're supposed to be doing, um, how we're supposed to live, and more importantly, or just we don't know how long we're going to be here. We are always aware at some level that we're going to die. And it could be tomorrow. 
You get on one of those freeways or, you know, who knows, right? And we therefore ad adopt core assumptions and beliefs to try to make sense of the world uh, and ourselves and our role in it to deal with those situations. Why are we here? What are we supposed to do? I might die. I will die. Uh, and the more people are made aware of their potential or near death, the more likely it is that your core assumptions beliefs will be crushed. So some of these assumptions might be the world is a safe place. And if something happens to cause that not to happen, to, to, to not be true anymore, uh, it, can, it can really create a trauma. Or I'm a good person, or my family's a good person, or the, my, this is a safe situation. Uh, and when it, events come along that shatter those beliefs, um, we become traumatized. Uh, and that is really the definition of trauma, if you will. Um, there is physical trauma also, but from a psychological and spiritual project pers perspective, that's really what's going on. It's our core assumptions and beliefs that become severely threatened or shattered. Um, and in fact, there's a great book called Shattered Assumptions that really talks about uh, tra uh, trauma that... Uh, person. Um, so what I want to do here is, um, uh, is, is have you ex sort of go a little deeper into what your core assumptions and beliefs might be. Uh, and then we'll come back out and we'll talk about the psychobiology of how that all is playing out, uh, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, so if you would, just uh, we're going to uh, take a few moments and, and go inside again. So sort of gather yourself and sit in a Relaxed, but in a dignified position, but something to relax and just allow yourself to sink into the chair. And when you're ready, just watch yourself breathing. Watch the breath as it enters your body, fills your lungs and abdomen, and just watch the breath as it leaves your body. Just, if you're willing, just notice any other physical sensations you might feel, tingling, warmth, maybe some tension, and just, just notice it, that's okay, and then come back to your breath. Just settle into your body for a few minutes. Settle into whatever's happening right now. Now, if you're willing, identify a particular fearful or painful situation that you're experiencing right now that has really caused you a lot of pain, a lot of difficulty. Maybe it is a family situation or maybe it's distress over social or economic issues. Maybe it's you're in confusion over climate change. Just pick out something that's particularly distressing right now. And then if you're willing, put on your neutral observer hat. 
be the observer that's watching yourself and reflect on the situation or the problem for a moment and try to notice what you're thinking about the problem or the issue. What are your thoughts? Thoughts do you have? As your physical sensations in your body as you think about that situation <coughs> and any emotions that come up all without becoming attached to them, all without making a judgment about them, or all without trying to change anything in any way. Just notice the thoughts, how that affects your body and your emotions. Slowly and gently, if you would, just try to come into a space of pure, objective observation and notice what is happening within you. Things like, I notice I'm thinking this. Or I notice I'm making these assumptions. I notice I'm craving this particular thing. denying this. I don't even want to think about this issue, whatever it might be. That's Just try to notice without trying to resolve anything. You're willing, as you observe the processes inside yourself, ask yourself, what story am I be believing now about myself, about other people, or about the external world? What story am I believing about myself, about the, about the external world or other people? How does this situation conflict with or undermine the way I see the world or the way I want to believe the world functions or that I function? Does this situation conflict with or undermine the way you believe the world functions and the way you are.
not find an immediate answer, that's just fine. But by simply asking, what story am I believing about this situation? It might lead to some new observations or maybe some new questions for you. Try to notice the underlying beliefs and assumptions you hold that led to those feelings of distress, discomfort, etc. Try to noticing and naming what's going on inside you, what you're telling yourself about the world and yourself as you think about those difficult situations. Helps us develop a new perspective, possibly, on what's going on. Take a moment to reflect on what you've noticed. To do so, come back to your breath. Just watch yourself breathing for a few moments. When you're ready, you can wiggle your fingers, wiggle your toes, and back open your eyes come back to the room so let's come back to the group just a second before we do a debrief just do some self-care do some caring for yourself put your hand on your heart breathe in now you we're doing the best we can all the time and we we have the capacity to care for ourselves and just feel that capacity you're experiencing and might have come up in this exercise is completely normal just show yourself some compassion some love some care for just a few minutes Remember, you're doing the best you can with the knowledge you have, information that that you know of, doing the best you can. Just thank yourself. Ready, come back to the room.
Anybody want to share anything that came up? What that was like for you? Any particular insights? Uh, anything at all? In the corner. Thank you, Nan, for all this racing around. I feel like part of what I'm being invited to notice over and over again is how much assumptions and beliefs translate into expectations for me. And then expectations, when they turn into disappointments, turn into resentments, and then those resentments turn into suffering. And so, wow. Um, Every time I turn around, there it is. And this brought me right back to that whole cycle again. Great. Thank you. Thank you. And if I can just make one comment that often we all go through that process. Um, that's all of us. You just described the human condition. And what we often try to do is dissociate, so to speak, from that. We try to wall it off. We deny it's happening. We ignore it. We try to pretend. And what that often does is cause us to harm ourselves in some way, or we turn it outward and we harm other people in some way. So just the more we notice that that's going on and can sort of accept that and just see it without getting attached to it, the the, the better we're going to be. You just described, I think, 7,000 pages of the Dharma in two seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Anybody else feel that way? (laughs) Thank you. Uh, the trauma I was focusing on was my partner's work stress that's just endless and fills the house and um, is wearing him down and wearing me down, too. I'm just exhausted from it. And the two beliefs that I identified was, first of all, he should be stronger than that. He shouldn't be... He, he, you can do better than that. And But then the other belief was that I'm too weak to handle this. I mean, there, there was, you know... Uh, he should be stronger, and I can't handle. You know, it was kind of wow, uh, mm-hmm. an interesting um, paradox there that I, I wasn't quite holding myself to the same standard that I would like to hold him to. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, what do I do about this belief that I'm too weak to handle this situation? Which is, I didn't get to an answer on that one, but that's right. the next question, I guess. Right. right. Thank you. Yeah, you don't have to answer the question. Just even noticing it now. Just being aware of the question is very, very helpful. Other comments, reactions on the back? Um, I noticed, you know, obviously, again, it's this recent trauma is what came up for me. And uh, when my mom died two weeks ago, I have, there haven't been a lot of tears, and I've been surprised because I thought I would just completely fall apart. And every time I start to cry, I yawn instead, and my body kind of was blocking this. And I needed to get through the funeral, and I spoke at the funeral, and there were no tears still. And I noticed now the tears started coming up during that exercise, and I started to yawn, and then I stopped, and I started getting activated. I felt like I'm getting really emotional here. Um, <clears throat> But then when you said, be the observer, be the observer, I kind of kept stepping back and I felt, you know, kind of getting ahead of myself here in the workshop. I felt like I was regulating my emotions. I stepped back and I could just watch what was going on and not fall into it with a lot of pain. 
And uh, as I said to these guys in my group, it felt kind of like Scrooge when he goes back with the ghost of the future or whoever it is, and he gets to see his life again. And he's observing and observing and observing. The further I went back, the more I could calm myself down again. You know, right. and I, I wasn't overactivated. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that new, neutral observer, the more you can get yourself into that mode to watch yourself uh, objectively without getting attached to it, the more space you'll get. Uh, again, it's not what, that we're trying to eliminate uh, the distress, the thoughts. That's always going to be there. It's going to roll around. It's just the nature of being human. It's Can we observe it? Can we get some space between it and our reaction to it? So any other final in the corner there, back there. You brought up disassociation, and that's what happened to me during the exercise. Like, what was the question, and that kind of thing. And so, but it's hard. It's hard to imagine when you're disassociated. It's hard to imagine stepping back because it seems it's so you're already it's so twisted inside of it. It's hard to get outside of that. Would you have thoughts on that? How to respond to when you notice you're dissociating? Or, well, God, I didn't notice until... You didn't realize it until later. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just, I think the first step would be just to try to pay attention to what is happening now. Mm-hmm. What am I thinking about now? What am I... What, what, or, or go into your body mm. and sense what's happening in your body. What kind of sensations, yeah. uh, tension. Uh, are you holding your breath? Mm-hmm. And just sort of become notice of what's going on now. Any other thoughts? Well, this uh, we we wanted to do this to sort of help you understand that you know the the traumas and the stresses, our beliefs about the political situation, etc., they have to do with our core assumptions and beliefs. That's what's going on, and we feel they're either under threat or have been shattered. So let's talk a little bit about this in terms of uh, what's really going on from a biophysical perspective. I hope I don't knock this over. Hope everybody can see. This is a human being. I know it's how hard to imagine, but and that's also why nobody lets me do pictures of any kind uh, in the office. So, um, uh, so just sort of tell me. Think about your own body. Where do you hold stress in your body? Uh, where's it show up? Wait a second. Hey, I got the wrong color here. I have to have a color-coded person. So some people, it's shoulders. Stomach. Stomach Stomach aches, right. Neck. Neck. Head. Head. All right. Chest. Chest. Arms. Arms. (laughs) Eyes. Eyes, yeah. I get get tired, winkle, tent. What? Jaws. Jaws, yeah. Legs. The whole leg. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Hands, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Joints. Yeah, knees, elbows. Yeah. Anything else? Anything we're missing? Back. How about that? Uh, anything else? This is the human condition. This is us. Right? Each of us is going to hold something in different way, in different place, different way. Why does this happen? What's causing this reaction? What is a stress and a trauma reaction? 
It's neurological. It's actually biophysical. When you believe your, um, your thoughts, your assumptions and beliefs are either uh, under threat or stretched uh, in some way, or shattered especially, your brain automatically is releasing neurochemicals into your bloodstream to prepare you to either fight back, flee the scene, run away, uh, or if the, if the neurochemical flush is too strong, you get overwhelmed and you can freeze. You just can't do anything. Okay? Um, and it's caused by sort of two things. Uh, so in the back of our brain down here, this is, uh, I said last night, this is really psychobiology of trauma and stress 101. It's actually not even 101. It's one. Uh, it's more complicated than this. But in the back of our brain, we have something called the amygdala, which you could call the fear and alarm center of the brain. There's more to it than just the amygdala. But, um, and it's always scanning the horizon, looking for a potential threat. And it goes on unconsciously. And this is something that's evolved over thousands of years, and we share it with most other mammals. And it's what allowed us to be here today and dominate the earth, humans, right? Uh, 10,000 years ago, it was uh, making sure that uh, some predator didn't uh, eat you, right? You're always watching for that. And today it could be a, the noise of a speeding car, uh, the election of a, somebody we don't support, uh, or a threat to your self-esteem, uh, being late for a, a meeting, it doesn't really matter. Uh, if, but when it, it sort of works as a smoke detector, better to be wrong than miss something. Because if you miss something, it could be really serious. So it's often always going off, especially in our society today with so many stimulus, so many things happening. It's not, very few of us live alone on 55 acres you know, where there's not a whole lot coming. We're, li we're living in a, in a complex society. So our fear and alarm center is going off a lot. And you're getting these flushes of chemicals. And that part of the brain also remembers things that happened 40 years ago, 20 years ago, etc. And often goes, oh, this is like what happened when I was a child instantaneously, even though it might not be, but that's what automatically gets triggered in there. Uh, or this is what happened last week with my boss, etc. cetera. Uh, or this could be the worst thing that ever happened to me in my life, so you look forward. Uh, and when that uh, flush of neurochemicals, adrenaline and others, happens, um, you get the stress response. And it is physical, we just saw it, can show up everywhere, but also your heart starts racing fast. You, you get your, some people get high, your blood pressure goes up, some people start to sweat, you know, you have a hard time breathing. We're all different in how we respond to that, but it, but it happens. But we also have a mental response. Um, uh, again, we might think, oh my gosh, everything I believed about the world has now been crushed or is under threat. Those core assumptions and beliefs. You might not be able to articulate that, but that's what's going on. And also your mind usually starts racing. Again, you're thinking, is this the worst thing that ever happened or could happen in the future? Uh, you're going on and on. And every, when you get stressed, just take a moment and think about or notice what's going on in your mind. Is your mind racing? Of course, that's what mindfulness and breath may, that is helpful for, sort of calming ourselves. Okay? Um, so, but notice that. Um, if, now normally, most of us are able to get ourselves out of this condition after a certain amount of time. Might be 10 minutes, 
Maybe it takes you two hours. Maybe it takes you a day or two, two days. If this kind of stress reaction, this traumatic reaction, continues, we often try to anesthetize ourselves to it by adopting what you could call self-destructive coping patterns. And for anybody who can't read any of my writing, I'll spell this all later to you. Um, so some of us uh, might uh, drink too much alcohol, or we start using drugs. Um, opiate uh, epidemic is, cl- is clearly a sign that this is happening in our society today. Um, we overeat. Um, uh, or we go the other way. Uh, we, we, we just you know, retreat into ourselves to try to protect ourselves. Some people try to withdraw. Other people try to engage in really frightening, scary, high-thrill activities to feel something um, and to anesthetize ourselves. There's lots of different self-destructive coping patterns. Uh, we all tend to do this at some point in our life, and we get ourselves out of it after a while. You have a really bad day at work or a really bad week, you go home and you drink too much alcohol, then you have to three or four days, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, uh, but, but this is really an important pattern to watch yourself. Are you trying to anesthetize yourself to this reaction, knowing that it's actually a biophysical reaction? It's not that something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with you morally, etc. You're having a natural human psychobiological reaction to trauma and stress. And then notice how you might be trying to anesthetize yourself to that. Usually, again, we can get ourselves out of this after a certain length of time. Most of us do. It's when we can't, when that goes on consistently, what happens is we often end up with personal breakdown. We have physical health problems, many, many cancers, heart problems, other problems are directly related or can be directly related to this ongoing stress reaction. We have psychological problems. We have cognitive problems. We can't remember things. We have behavioral problems. We get really aggressive with some people or we withdraw in ourselves. And we have spiritual problems that appear. Hopelessness and helplessness. I can't help myself. There's nothing I can do, etc. All of this is... Uh, means that this kind of ongoing reaction to trauma and stress can be all-encompassing. It's not just a physical reaction. This is about our whole body, our whole self, our whole being. Even then, a lot of us go through that and get ourselves out of that after a while. You know, we, we, we realize what's happening. Uh, we, we, we go to the doctor. We realize we're ill. Okay, I'm going to get better exercise. I'm going to change my job patterns or whatever you need know, to do to sort of relieve the stress. And uh, I'm not going to drink as much, whatever you might be doing. But when that continues, when you have this kind of breakdown and a number of people in a group uh, or an organization are experiencing these kinds of patterns, you get what we call trauma-organized organizations and groups. So what this means is exactly what happens within each of us individually happens within the social context. The group 
dynamics, the organization contracts to try to protect itself from the perceived threats that they sense, the people, uh, but in doing so, further traumatize and stress everybody involved. Uh, the employees become more, if it's an organization, become more stressed. Uh, uh, and that leads to often groupthink, which means uh, people say, oh, it's, don't raise any questions or challenge any of the current beliefs and ideas of the organization or the group because it, it costs too much tension. So people begin to operate on uh, ideas and assumptions and beliefs that really aren't true because no one is able to bring up alternative uh, views. Uh, I think we're seeing a little bit of that in society today. Um, uh, but you also get a lot of distrust that starts to grow. And one reaction from executives or authorities within the organization is to crack down on the chaos, and you get more authoritarianism and extremism. These are all common patterns seen in trauma organized. They're organized around the trauma, if you will, to protect themselves about it. And those are the patterns you see in groups and uh, and organizations. And when a whole bunch of individuals and groups and organizations experience that, you get trauma-organized communities and societies. And that's what we're seeing growing around the world from climate change, as an example where entire communities or neighborhoods, uh, or in some cases, entire societies, are organized to try to protect themselves from the traumas and stresses they're experiencing. But in doing so, going through adopting self-destructive coping patterns, behavioral patterns, patterns that harm others, and making things worse, becomes a vicious cycle, which creates more tension, more stress on the individual, and you get a vicious cycle going. Building a wall might be one of those <laughs> common things. Um, yeah, well, I think we're seeing this in the U.S. in part. Um, it's certainly, from a climate change perspective, if you look at the countries of the world that are hardest hit early on, uh, they have food shortages and water shortages and other... You're just seeing this play out. Um, and now we're being affected by some of that. Some of, this, some of these problems with uh, ISIS and terrorism are actually generated by uh, where climate change is a stress multiplier in some communities, not necessarily the, the only cause of those uh, processes that are triggering this kind of uh, reaction, but it's certainly going around, around the country. But it's not just climate change. This is a common pattern. We've seen this throughout history long before climate change uh, became a problem. Um, so... Just to notice, though, that this is actually, unless we develop skills and tools and eventually at the organizational community and society, policies and mechanisms, we can allow this stress reaction, this, this reaction to trauma and stress, to get pretty serious. Yet, these are all based on our assumptions and beliefs about the world and how we perceive them being threatened and therefore we can choose a different path. You do choose a different path, in fact, when you choose a way to relax your body right away or to move out of the self-destructive coping patterns or to uh, move beyond and go back and help begin to recover yourself physically or to work in your organization. Go, wait a second, let, let's see if there's another way we can... So we make these choices all the time. 
the key, one of the key is we call this becoming trauma-informed. That's the buzzword out in the world. Uh, to help people become trauma-informed. At the individual level, at least help people understand how trauma and stress affect them individually and their families. So one step we can all take is for each of you and you and your families to become trauma-informed. Notice how trauma and stress affect you. But then when we start to think about moving out there in the world, how do we help other people we work with, our neighbors, our community, become trauma-informed? Just this information alone, uh, when I've done this in many groups, many organizations around the country, just often is all you need to do to make a huge difference. Just people now get what's going on and understand it. Uh, let alone learning the skills, practices, and, you know, and to, to begin to address those. Just that knowledge. What if every adult and child in this country and in every European country and around the world had the opportunity early on to learn about what, what to be trauma-informed, to learn this information... Would that make a difference? I think it would make a big difference. Um, so, any questions? Because then I want to practice this. Go ahead. Exactly what happens. Yeah. So, but isn't that what austerity programs are? It's basically create. That's exactly right. So, be aware that that's what's going on. That's the that's the history of humans and groups. Make people frightened. Right. Stress them. That's traumatize true. them. Whether people can articulate it in this way or not doesn't matter. They, you know, the the authoritarians know what what's going on and how how people are going to react. So. Be aware of that, and don't let that happen. Know that they're trying to do that, and develop the skills and mechanisms and tools to actually counter that. But that's exactly what they're doing. They know this, Brad. You know, they, instinctually that people do. So, let, let one more question, then let's practice. They might. So again, what this is about is we first we take out we take it out on ourselves, Uh, but we also might want to take it out sort of just just you know project it outward and take it out on other people, and maybe the only people they're comfortable being with then is somebody else who's in that situation. So you have that sort of camaraderie, um, and that gets into these these physical uh, aspects. Yeah, absolutely. You get that family enmeshment where those patterns go. So let's do this. What I'd like uh, you to do is, um, you just heard this fairly quickly, so you don't know it in detail. That's fine. Um, but you sort of get the, the gist of it, I think. Uh, what I'd like to do is get in three, have you get into uh, triads and uh, see if there's one person that will be willing to volunteer to teach the psychobiology of trauma and stress to a student who's going to volunteer, and one person volunteer to be the uh, an observer, 
We're only going to have you teach it for like two or three minutes, so it's not like a long talk. Uh, but just see, see what you can get out. Uh, again, learning how to teach it is almost the best way to learn it yourself. So this is more about you learning it than it is about helping the other person. But the student might learn something too. And most importantly, the observer often learns the most in this interesting process. Um, so if you you got to ask in your threesome, is somebody willing to be uh, the student and somebody willing to be the teacher, etc.? If you don't find any willing, uh, switch around and try another threesome in some way. So let's go ahead and try to do this, okay? Just find a, a triad to work with and a teacher, and, uh, a student, and an observer. Look for, look for two people to work with if you're, if you're not... And if you need somebody, raise your hand. There's two people that need somebody right over there. Don, is it? Uh, in the back? Anyone else? Anyone, one person looking? There you go. Uh, is it Mark? Or, uh, oh. Oh, wait, wait. Anyone else? Any other pairs? Where do you see the bar? Oh, I can't, I can't see it from right yeah. Is so, there another pair? Uh, is there somebody that only has two people and is needing some a third? If not, how about... Yeah, just make a foursome somewhere. Just take uh, about, uh, once you're ready, just the, uh, the instructor, the teacher, just take about three to four minutes to explain the psychobiology of trauma and stress. Not, not a long time, okay? And then I'll tell you when you can end and when the, the uh, observer can provide some feedback.
So the teacher should begin to wrap up in about a minute and uh, then have the uh, observer provide some feedback on what they noticed. So at this point, make sure that the observer is now giving feedback. There's just two people back there. I didn't realize. So they, 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 oh, I can't see. I'm sorry. Yeah, please switch. Not yet. Don't, you mean other people t teach or just get feedback? No, actually, everybody should have switched. So you're getting feedback from the observer first. Then the teacher talks about what it was like for them. And then the student gives feedback. So first the observer, then the student, uh, then the teacher, then the, the student. Give feedback. What, what did you observe? What was it like for you?
you can just sit back and watch the show. You don't have to worry a lot. Right. So just take uh, another minute or so to wrap up your comments. They're just into it. Let's uh, come back to the group. You go first. And uh, you can thank your partners and come on back uh, together. And uh, two things. First, uh, before we do anything else, just uh, go inside. And notice how it feels to have done that exercise and connect with others who care about this just like you do. Just notice what your internal experience is again, once again. There's a lot of energy in the room, a lot of good energy. Just notice what it's like when you connect with others, even about difficult things. Okay. And then one other thing before uh, we do the debriefing, just want to check and see um, about uh, needing a break, having a break, or just uh, ha on your own, uh, take a break when you when you need. How many people uh, need a break right now? 
and how many don't? <laughs> yeah. so break people over here yeah. in the audience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a breakdown, yeah. right? How about if we take like um, five minutes or so and uh, and come on back? Yeah, we've already got forty-five minutes left. Yeah. So okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So five minutes, we'll ring the bell and carry on.
Why don't we get going again, uh, for those of you who are in the hall. Um, so we just want to uh, do a, a debrief. Uh, what was that like, uh, teaching the uh, psychobiology trauma stress? What was it like being the, the student? Um, can can hey, you ask people to come back in? Carrie, yeah, yeah. tell everybody to come back in. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- these, you know, we always feel like when we do these kind of exercises or retreats that we need about four weeks or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it always is, the conversations are cut short, the exercises are cut short, etc. But hopefully you leave with enough that you can continue this on uh, in whatever way that makes sense. But any, any feedback, any reaction? What was this like? We're going to take it one more step here before we close uh, today. Uh, any thoughts, reactions? What was it like being a teacher or a student or uh, an observer? And let's see, is that, is the mic underneath? Yeah, what happened to the mic? There we go. Anybody like to share? What about the... It's on the very bottom. What about the teachers? What was that like? Anybody who was a teacher willing to share? Over here. Is it on? Yeah. Yeah. So, I happen to be a professor, so the teaching part of it was like, it wasn't too hard. You got that down. Yeah. <laughs> but um, put your mic. But what I um, what I focused on internally was that that person with all that pain is also the person who voted for Trump, and that that was that's really important for me to pay attention to, because that person's not my enemy. That's right. That person is the person I have to love harder. Because that person's in pain, so that that's for me really, really important part of how to then direct my work. Mm. Thank you so much for that. That that that's, is so. This is this is all of us, and we all react differently. You know, some do the the, the thing we just saw in the election. Some do, but just keep that in mind and have that loving kindness for everyone. Really makes it. That doesn't mean you don't speak truth to power. Um, but it means that you you come in with a different attitude. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, it reminds me of this uh, lovely teaching by lovely or powerful teaching from the Dalai Lama. He says uh, if somebody is doing something that is upsetting to you, it's good to understand that they're not usually doing it to hurt you. It's just that their internal reality is intersecting with your internal reality in a way that does not meet your hopes and expectations. That's what's going on. But they've got their own internal reality that that makes perfect sense to them, including their getting triggered and frightened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. What came to mind to, for me at the end was um, Mother Teresa saying that uh, at one point that she thought uh, we were a nation of untreated um, grief. And I think we are one of untreated, undiagnosed, untreated trauma. 
So when you say trauma-informed, I think that's some of the most important work we have on our plate right now. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. That's and absolutely and when you think about uh, uh, America, for at least a, a large segment, is fairly privileged, not for everybody. There's a, there, all the marginalized are really living in trauma. And think of all the other countries in the world who uh, trauma is, is embedded in their history. We're, we're one of the more fortunate, probably the most fortunate, at least the, the mainstream in, in America. Let me say one more thing, though. You know, that there is also systemic, uh, historic trauma. Uh, and so if uh, uh, people of color in this country, because of the systemic racism that's gone on forever, that gets embedded in the memory, and that's always there. Uh, and it's very hard to overcome that uh, often. So it's just keep in mind the different forms of trauma. I, ge- I gave a very simple description, but it goes much deeper in how that affects people and groups uh, uh, and, and, and whole communities, et cetera. One last comment, and then we're going to go on here. Mark. Right, 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 right there. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I was a, the teacher. And um, I took it from the societal level down because I feel like it doesn't begin at the individual, although the symptoms show up in every individual. And I feel like it begins at the societal level and for for that matter at the human level, but particularly in American society, as a profound sense of disconnection from one another, a deep, deep epidemic of loneliness, almost a pandemic of loneliness. And this is the breakdown of the sense of interconnectedness that you say is at the heart of, of, of both our basic truth and our healing. And I feel, I can, I can sense it even when I get into an elevator of people holding themselves separately because they're afraid. They're simultaneously afraid of and yearning for someone to speak and break that ice. It's, it's, uh, and so my sense is that the trauma begins elsewhere. It begins in the sense of fearful isolation and that there is a, a kind of an ideology of self, self-made uh, kind of self-made man or holding it all in, sucking it all up, which is so contrary to our nature and our need to be connected to one another. Mm-hmm. And when James says, how does it feel? when you're even talking about difficult things, but you're doing it together. Well, of course, it feels like a dam has been released mm-hmm. and you feel this sense of flow again in your life. And that absolutely is, I think, at the heart of the trauma that shows up in every individual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, I think that's true. Just, just uh, when we think about how to teach this, and again, I, I think that the more we can create a trauma-informed nation, starting with your own family. Teach this to your kids uh, and your other family members. Teach this then to your neighbors in some way or groups you're part of, organizations you're part of. Teach it. Make sure that your school districts are teaching this basic information to kids. Uh, it's it's really important that we create a trauma-informed nation. I, I don't have time now because we only have a half hour left, but one of the things this organization I coordinate, the ITRC, is going to be doing next year 
is launching a national conversation about this with community groups, organizations, and individuals all across the country through a coordinated conference with the web-based uh, you know, interactions and video interactions, with the first step being create a trauma-informed nation. But we're going to go beyond that, and that's what we're going to dive into tomorrow and Sunday, the skills that people can learn and the tools you can learn, eventually the policies you can use to promote that. Um, uh, so that's, we're going to go into presencing and purposing skills tomorrow. Um, but that we wanted to spend today just sort of getting uh, this basic information. But we want to make sure that presencing and purposing skills are out there nationwide and also in other countries. So we have talked and had worked in the UK um, and there's interest in there. In fact, they might join us in this. I don't know how the time zone change is going to work. But think about that. How do you build in your own organization first trauma-informed human resilience-enhancing organization um, and then, how does your organization help engage with others? And let's create a trauma-informed, resilience-enhancing society. Um, so, um, but, and so let's take that a step further. Um, we're going to do one more similar thing that we just did. Um, we're going to talk about the resilient growth zone. Um, and this is actually in your flyers, but it's, it's developed by a, a, one of our core team members, uh, Elaine Miller-Karras, uh, who runs a Trauma Resource Institute down in Claremont, California. Um, uh, and what this really means is that we each have sort of a, a regular range in which we're able to function within the normal range of how our nervous system operates. So sometimes we're high, you know, we're, we're energized, we're, and then sometimes we're down low, and we sort of go along like that within, you know, and our nervous system, our range of that is different at different points of our lives. When we're younger, the, 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 uh, the zone is smaller. When we get older, sometimes the zone gets smaller too, although it also for some people it could get bigger. So we go and bounce around in there. And so sometimes you're high, sometimes you're a little bit more stretched, sometimes you're not. It's the way life is, right? The problem comes, what, what happens is then you get some sort of trigger, Something happens, and you get pushed way outside your resilient growth zone. This is the resilient growth zone, as we call it. You're just traumatized and stressed. Um, and, but you eventually, like we, I said, you eventually get out of it, and you come back, and so you go back in, and then something else happens, and you get pushed out again. Uh, and then you sort of do whatever you need to do. It might take a while, take a, a day. It might take an hour. It may take a week. And you get back in your resilient growth. And then another trigger happens. Um, this is life, right? We're always pushed outside of our resilient growth zone, so to speak, the natural area where we're able to maintain uh, that equanimity. We lose it. That's just the way life is. There's all these stresses and traumas out there. The problem comes only when you get stuck In a high zone, you're stuck out here, uh, and you're always amped up, angry, you know, trying to fight back, uh, etc., uh, or stuck in the low zone. Down here, um, you're depressed. You can't. You don't want to talk to anybody. You withdraw. 
um, uh, you harm yourself in that way. Here, often when we get stuck in the high zone, we're actually us- often harming other people. We're taking out our distress on others. Here, we're taking out our distress on ourselves, often. Not exclusively, but that's sort of how it, it comes out. Um, so the first thing that we ask people to do and ask all of you to do is say, can you become aware of what your resilient growth zone is? What's the zone in which you're able to deal with the normal stress and, uh, and adversity of life, and when are you pushed outside of it? Can, to the extent that you can, how much are you aware of that? Can you become aware of when that happens? And secondarily, can you become aware of when you're stuck in a high zone or stuck in a low zone? When you actually can't get back into that. That again is about becoming trauma-informed, but it's really helping us understand uh, and then realizing that there's no, we're not talking, equanimity is not this steady state like this where there's no um, uh, change. All of us sort of go up and down, things happen, etc. It's whether we get attached to that in some way uh, and get stuck in the high zone or get stuck in the low zone. So the resilience skills that we're going to dive into, the purposing and present, presencing and purposing skills that we'll dive into tomorrow, help us notice, first of all, what our resilient growth zone is. And part of that is going to be by just noticing the sensations in your body, what's happening within you, as well as in your mind and your emotions. And then learning skills to move back into your resilient growth zone when you're either stuck on low or stuck on high. And that's what we're going to dive into tomorrow, some of those skills. But you already know some of those skills. In fact, for the most part, most of the skills and tools we'll go through, we all know. We use them already. Um, You don't call them the same thing we call them. Um, But we all know these. We didn't make these up out of the blue. We just noticed how people function, how, how we all function. The key is to surface those, make them conscious, make them aware, and then remember to use them. Um, so what we want to do now is just take uh, a sec, uh, about uh, uh, 10 minutes again and have one more teaching experience. Um, one teacher, somebody volunteer to be a teacher, somebody be a student, somebody be a, the observer, and teach about the resilient growth zone uh, to someone else. Uh, about the triggers, how, it, how that's natural to be pushed outside, how it, and, and what, what, how to notice, maybe, to give your best definition, how to notice what a resilient growth zone is. How do you know when you're, you're in, a, in a zone in which you can make wise and skillful decisions? That's what it means. Uh, you're, you're able to make wise and skillful decisions, but when you're pushed outside and stuck, you can't. You make decisions that aren't really a good. Okay? So let's uh, find another... Uh, couple of people and do it in threesomes and uh, we're just going to take about 10 minutes to do that and uh, I'll give you the instructions in terms of when to switch and make sure the uh, you're getting feedback from the observer. And raise your hand if you want to uh, connect with a couple of people. Take a look and who's got their hands raised. Anybody else looking for someone to play with? One person over here. 
We might need a foursome. Yeah. You guys are the four. The foursome. So the teacher should start teaching. Do you do you have a, a printout there?
So the teacher should wrap up in about uh, a minute and then uh, get feedback from the observer. If you haven't switched already, make sure you're now in the process of giving feedback and talking about what it was like. So the teacher should be done. Make sure everybody's just sharing what they saw. Just a couple of more minutes, and then we'll come back. I'll connect what you just said to the gratitude. One minute left.
Why don't we come back to the uh, group? Would anybody uh, be willing to share uh, anything that popped up for you in this exercise? What was this like? Any any uh, insights? Anything particular that uh, came up? We had a question about time scales. Like, it seems like there are times when one goes outside of the zone for minutes, hours, and then there are times when one goes outside for weeks and different levels of intervention might be called for in those cases, or when to be more concerned, less concerned. Right. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, that's a very good question, and I think it goes back to what we were talking about before. Um, If you're adopting self-destructive coping patterns uh, that are harming yourself or harming others, uh, then it's time to use, and, and you don't, you're not aware of, or you're not using skills and tools that you have. Then you might need to get other help uh, and reach out. But the better thing is to just notice that you're stuck outside and see if you can. We'll go into these skills, et cetera, uh, in the next couple of days. But see if you can begin to just use some of the skills. I've seen in in, the, in disaster situations where people have been stuck completely outside for a couple of days and some of the skills will go through tomorrow almost instantaneously. That doesn't make them feel better completely, but it brings them out of that being stuck in that uh, high zone uh, into back into a place where they can start to sort of function again. Um, so some of these skills are real simple, but have a real powerful effect if done well and done, you know, used in the right way. So, but just notice when you're stuck. Go ahead. Me too, right now, uh, with this interaction. Um, uh, First, I want to share that uh, I was a student and then the teacher, and I had a lot more fun being the teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Back to this, uh, I think the scariest one is the low zone, if I'm correct, because we have a a possibility of of suicide, or or maybe uh, worse than that. I think both can be very scary um, in many ways for different people. Go ahead, excuse me. Well, I think with the higher, you might uh, see more clues because that's more outgoing type behavior, whereas in the low zone, it's a repressed, uh, isolated, uh, they're not interacting, they're sad, they're depressed. In In the high zone where people end up committing a crime, or harming somebody else in a way that actually not only can affect them in their lives, but affect you in your life. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, so it's the, when people are stuck in the high zone, that's when you get these these really tragic events. On drugs, too. <laughs> and on drugs. Well, that's part of that. They're using a, self, they're a, a self-anesthetizing mechanism that isn't working. Um, and so it's uh, so both of them getting stuck there, depending on the person. It all de- you know, each of us responds differently to different things. Thank you.
Any other comments, thoughts? Just, oh, go ahead. Um, it got me thinking about that resilient growth zone and how big and wide and deep it is and how, what are the things that we do just on a regular basis to keep it right. big and wide and deep. <laughs> Thank you for, for saying that. So, so one of the skills is, and, and points that we're trying to make is be aware of what your resilient growth zone is and when you're pushed outside and stuck outside. But just as importantly, that learning the skills, meditation alone is a tremendously powerful skill, but we're going to learn some others too that are all mindfulness skills. We're going to go into presencing and purposing to widen your resilient growth zone. Uh, and that's really, that, that's what prevention is about. It's widening your resilient growth zone um, so that you're more, um, more, less likely to get bounced outside because it's just wider. You have those capacities. And then when you are bounced outside, you have greater capacity to more quickly come back in it. We're all going to be bounced outside at some points in time. Uh, so, uh, and just uh, one thing I'd encourage you to do tonight um, uh, is to sort of think about that. What is your resilient growth? And do you, how often do you notice when you're bounced outside? And are you typically bounced in the high zone or a low, a low zone? And what do you do, if anything, when that happens? Are you aware of it? And how do you respond? Uh, do you adopt self-destructive coping patterns, as we call them? Uh, do you do something else? Can you meditate? Can you uh, do some other skills? Just notice without judging yourself. This is perfectly natural human reactions. Just sort of notice how you respond and notice how aware you are of what's going on within you. That's really the key. Increase your mindfulness, your awareness of what's going on within you. Any final comments? Yeah. Close to. So thank you all for doing that. I hope that was helpful. Um, uh, and uh, I want to end with, uh, ironically, uh, changing gears a little bit with a gratitude exercise. Uh, and, you know, when we think about, in fact, the way uh, James was pointing out in the document here that when we talk about the truth of suffering, uh, we're not suggesting at all that we always suffer. There's a thousand joys and a thousand suff- points of suffering that sometimes we feel joy and, and pleasure and happiness. Uh, and a, one way to make sure we tap into that is to uh, uh, practice gratitude. Um, and so we want to sort of leave you on sort of that positive note. And I want to start with a quote, Albert Schweitzer, who was a German-French uh, philosopher and theologian. It says, at times our own light goes out and is rekindled by the spark of another person. Each of us has cause to think with deep gratitude of those who have lighted the flame within us. So... Uh, recognizing the gifts in your life can be really profoundly uh, motivating, empowering, and inspiring. Uh, it's one of the best ways to remain equanimous, uh, equanimous that to, to re- maintain your equanimity is to remember the positive things, the things you, you have gratitude for. So let's close with an exercise, if you would. I'd just like to, to if you're willing, just to sort of again take a very comfortable position and uh, settle yourself so that you can be in a erect yet dignified and relaxed position and
Just watch yourself breathing for a few moments. You can leave your eyes open if you'd like. You can close your eyes, whatever is more comfortable for you. And just try to settle into the presence of the moment. Long, deep breaths and watch yourself breathing. Try to breathe a sense of ease and well-being into your heart center. When you're ready, try to recall a few people who in a small or a large way have helped you to keep going in life when you've experienced difficulties. Bring those people to mind. It might be someone who found your reading glasses when you were hurried and distracted and left them somewhere. Or a friend who sent a tiny, small, supportive email when you were distressed. Or a grocery clerk who cleaned up your mess when a jelly jar accidentally dropped and broke on the floor. A worker who helped cover your duties to allow you to be to this retreat. Focus feelings of gratitude towards those memories, towards that person. Just say thank you very much. I so appreciate it. To share your gratitude with that person. that. Notice the physical sensations in your body. What does your body do when you feel gratitude? How does your body resonate with feelings of gratitude? you're willing, expand your circle of awareness to gratitude for people in your life in the larger community where you live or work who help you keep going in life through difficulties. For example, it might be a sense of gratitude to doctors or physicians or nurses at the local hospital who are always there to care for you if you need help. Feel gratitude to people who at the fire stations that are standing by to save your house or your office in case there's a fire. Offer some gratitude to farmers who are getting out early to grow the food that you're eating that is providing you with life. Feel gratitude and send gratitude to people working to protect the climate or to protect forests or to protect local streams. And send them your gratitude 
and feel how it feels in your body when you feel the gratitude for those people in your community. Now, if you're willing, expand your circle of awareness of gratitude one more time to even the larger, complex, and difficult to see ecological systems and organisms that are constantly interacting to produce the oxygen you breathe, the water you drink, the food you eat, and are interacting to keep the temperature on Earth just at the right temperature to support life. Just give thanks, give gratitude to the ecological systems that support you and all other life. Willing, just take a moment to reflect on what the experience of gratitude has evoked within you. Notice any changes of emotions, changes in thoughts, thoughts about yourself, thoughts about others as you experience gratitude. you're ready just come back to your breath and follow your breath and follow yourself watch yourself breathing your breathing in and out for just a few seconds you're ready you can open your eyes and come back to the room Any other comments? Thank you. So we've done a lot today. Tomorrow we'll dive more into specific skills. We'll go. We'll take this information and now go hot into you know how do you widen your resilience growth zone? How do you uh, bring yourself back into it uh, when you're outside of it quicker. And uh, as we move through the, the retreat to, on Sunday, we'll talk about how can you actually begin to uh, embed this in organizations and in communities. 
um, and leave with sort of an action plan that you can uh, develop for yourself on what you would personally like to engage in, uh, small steps and large steps. But in the meantime, there's probably lots to uh, think about and, re- and uh, contemplate uh, over the evening. So we wish you the best. Uh, have a wonderful evening to everyone. Uh, see you all tomorrow. Great. See you tomorrow. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.